You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, it's really difficult to orchestrate meaningful change. So when the litter problem that faced the state of Texas in the 1980s seemed unfixable, one man decided it was time to prove you don't mess with Texas. The economy as a whole has taken a downturn recently, but cryptocurrency has been a bloodbath. But what other industries went down with the crypto ship? Up until five or ten years ago, Radio Shack was the go-to retailer for all of your electronic needs. Now, it's running an R-rated Twitter account. We explore what happens when companies try to pivot. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. All right, Jay, today we are going to talk about meaningful change. Like, how do we actually get people to change their minds? And us human beings, well, we're pretty bad about changing our minds. Whether we know it or not, we are born with a strong desire to hold on to pre-existing beliefs or convictions. We often form what social scientists call a cognitive bias about something. Cognitive bias means we, we basically develop a subconscious thought. There's an error in our way of thinking about something that leads us to believe a certain thing. And we will argue and argue if you don't agree with that. And so, Jay, because it's difficult to change someone's mind about something, it's equally as hard to change their actions. So, Jay, what's an example in your life, maybe an example of something that you thought you knew, but you had your mind changed about? Yeah, I've definitely gotten better about changing my mind as I've gotten older, which I think you know a lot of people do. Uh, but I think the thing that accelerated that the most was becoming a parent. You know, when you're not a parent and you kind of see people interacting yes. with their children and things like that, you you do form a lot of judgments, you know, intentionally or not intentionally. And then when you have it happen to you and you're in that world and you make decisions, uh, you start to kind of look around and go, oh, yeah, like I, I didn't really know anything about this and I judged it and now I'm doing that same thing. You're like, honey, honey, did you see those parents? They gave their kid Two packs of fruit snacks. <laughs> ah, I'm going to call CPS. <laughs> now I'm just like reaching in the back seat. I'm like, I'll give you five packs of fruit snacks if you leave me alone. Two juice bottles. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, parenthood is perfect. Well, Jay, in the 1980s, the state of Texas needed to figure out a way to change people's minds and ultimately change their behavior. Because, you see, Texas had an issue caused by a pattern of behavior that did not have an easy fix. Jay, Texas was trashy. Toward the end of the 1980s, the Texas Department of Transportation had a royal mess on its hands. Literally. The State Department was spending roughly $20 million annually on trash pickup. And that cost figure was headed in the wrong direction, increasing by about 17% year after year. Texas is a massive state, and the trash piles were equally as massive, with litter seemingly collecting everywhere along the roadways connecting major Texas cities to more rural areas. 
Desperate, the transportation department decided that it needed to do something drastic to reverse this trashy trend. And so it put out a call for marketing pitches. Something to somehow get through to the litter bugs trashing the beautiful Texas roadways. A few weeks away from the advertising pitch deadline, a guy named Tim McClure from the Austin, Texas-based ad agency GSD&M had nothing. No clever ideas, no brilliant videos, nothing. One morning, though, while out walking in his own neighborhood, McClure noticed the trash piles that had started to form along his roads. Thinking to himself that he was sick of this mess, a term that he had grown accustomed to hearing from his own mother commenting on his messy bedroom as a child, it suddenly hit him that he and his team had been thinking about the approach to the campaign in the wrong way. For starters, no campaign like this was going to make Texans care about not littering. That much was already obvious. But while it couldn't do that, it could instead reinforce something that Texans already cared about. Texas. Next, Texans weren't going to pay attention to a litter campaign because the word litter just wasn't a part of their vernacular. But you know what was? Mess. And just like that, Jay, the legendary Texas slogan, Don't Mess With Texas, was born. After getting the Department of Transportation to choose their campaign, McClure and his team set out to create an implementation strategy. After determining that young men, believe it or not, uh between 16 and 24 were the worst offenders, McClure and company went to spread their message in the places where 16 to 24-year-old males could be found. Bumper stickers for sale at gas stations, fast food restaurant signage, shopping center promotions that targeted younger folks. Don't mess with Texas started popping up everywhere, even though its messaging wasn't paired with any Department of Transportation labeling on purpose. McClure didn't simply want the phrase to be about litter prevention. He wanted it to literally be about Texas. We thought the way to get it into the public's consciousness quickest was to let Texans own it, McClure told the Smithsonian Magazine. I don't think they would have put something that said, don't litter Texas or don't trash our state. I don't think they'd do it. But because it had that Texas bravado to it, they adopted it. They adopted don't mess with Texas as their own battle cry. And Jay, it worked. Trash was down 29% the next year, and by 1990, just four years after the campaign launched, litter had been reduced by a staggering 72%. And Don't Mess With Texas has, in fact, become the battle cry of the state. It's been used in political campaigns, college football promotional materials. It's been molded to fit nearly anything and everything Texas. And Jake, today, it serves as perhaps the best example of lasting change. The formula? Figure out a way to make the change a byproduct of people caring about, well, something they already care about. Well, yeah, now you've guaranteed that any time I hear that, which I feel like I hear it all the time, I'll never be able to think about anything other than just garbage. (laughs) You'll look around and say, is there something (laughs) I can pick up? (laughs) So, Dave, you and I both kind of, you know, we do a little bit of investing here and there. When you're talking about the world of investing, I'm sure you're mostly a successful investor, but everybody has some missteps. Do you want to tell us about the worst investment that you've ever made to this point? You were very kind the way you set that up. 
Um, yeah, I knew this was coming at some point. So we won't mention the, the company, but I unfortunately got you and a few others into a very bad uh, stock investment. The quick story here is I got a text message from somebody that wasn't meant for me. It was from someone in my life who's very rich, and this person meant to text their uh, financial advisor. They accidentally texted me. I guess he was also named Dave. Uh, and said, hey, this stock is about to go public. We won't name the company. Um, let's jump on it. I, of course, thought, rich guy, stock is going public. Let's buy it, baby. So I text you, hey, we got to get on this. Yeah, I received a frantic text along the lines of, like, <laughs> would you like to get rich? It was something sort of worded <laughs> like that, like in a no-lose scenario. You and these other people unfortunately followed me down this dark hole. I thought I had found the chicken coop of the golden goose. Not true. For the first couple of days, this stock goes crazy. I'm texting you like memes of us throwing, throwing money in the air and that we're going to be rich. And then it completely tanks and has continued to tank ever since. I will say good news is it's up two cents today. Oh, that's, that's so great. To this, to, don't to call this it a day, I've lost 80.31% of the money that I invested <laughs> in that stock. Dave, did you ever think about getting into cryptocurrency at its height? Absolutely not. I have very negative feelings toward cryptocurrency. Well, Dave, it only seems like a few short days ago, Matt Damon was on our TV telling us to invest in cryptocurrency. And Can I do it? Can you want to do the, the Matt Damon? Okay, go ahead. Fortune favors the brave. <laughs> He's like surrounded by astronauts and explorers. <laughs> and he's like trying to get you I'm about sure it Bitcoin. does, Matt. Like, thanks, Matt. Yeah. And well, while you and I didn't get into crypto, Dave, plenty of people did. And like most other components of the economy, cryptocurrency has been sent into a downward spiral of value. And the thing we know for sure about the economy, though, Dave, is that everything that happens sort of has consequences somewhere else. So in this segment, we're going to analyze the fall in value of a coattail rider to crypto, the luxury watch market. So going back to 2021, the combination of soaring cryptocurrency value and then the rising stock market and stimulus money making its way into the economy meant that there was this developing broader interest in investing in what are called alternative assets, which are like more tangible stores of value, like something you can hold. So it's no surprise that throughout 2021, the luxury watch industry took off. And pretty soon, Dave, buyers began bidding the prices on luxury watches to their highest levels ever. By early 2021, the holy trinity of luxury watches, the Rolex Daytona, the Patek Felipe Nautilus, and the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak were going for many multiples of their original retail prices. But Dave, that was then and this is now, with the stock market flirting with the bear market, with Bitcoin losing a whopping 70% of its value since last November, with higher interest rates and rising inflation, combined with the fact that lockdowns in China and fewer buyers from Russia due to the war in Ukraine mean less buyers and then a higher supply of watches, Prices have quickly declined about 25% of their peaks this year. At first, when the economy started tapering off earlier this year, values on luxury goods remained pretty steady. You know, a lot of times when stocks get shaky in value or inflation rises, people will turn to something tangible that they can hold to store their money in, like a Rolex or a piece of jewelry or a handbag. 
but it seems the luxury market is going the way of the rest of the economy. And Dave, just in a bigger sense, this market kind of reveals some of the bigger issues hiding in our economy as a result of the crypto crash. A lot of money went into cryptocurrency in 2021, and the value placed into it just ballooned. You know, athletes chose to be paid in Bitcoin, celebrities went on late night shows and talked about how into crypto they were, and people bought in trying to get rich fast. This in large part helped elevate a lot of these secondary markets like the luxury good market. Luxury watches were just one of many industries that got to ride the coattails of the value that crypto was gaining. Younger people, particularly Gen Z, entered this market for the first time as well. But crypto has proven to be very unstable and those coattails carried a lot of markets down with it. So Dave, will the crypto market recover? Maybe. I think there's still a lot of the story of cryptocurrency to be written, and we're not exactly the right people to ask about financial speculation. But Dave, I think just the volatile nature of the value of cryptocurrency, at least in the time we're living in, will have a stronger ripple effect like this one as the value either skyrockets or plummets. But I know if nothing else, we'll always have the memory of Matt Damon telling us that fortune favors the brave. There's this one that says, if you bought $1,000 of Bitcoin the day that Matt Damon's Fortune Favors the Brave commercial came out, it would now be worth $375. (laughs) (laughs) If you just search Matt Damon, the first like 10 articles that come up are basically titled Matt Damon being mercilessly mocked. (laughs) This one's really good too. This is obviously not Matt Damon, a fake Matt Damon. Hi, Matt Damon here. I want to apologize for not making it clear when I did that primetime crypto commercial that I was only speaking to multimillionaires and not to losers like you who could not <laughs> afford to lose $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're actually going to keep talking cryptocurrency a little bit, a, a much different angle here in this segment. But, but Jay, before we get rolling... What was your shortest job ever? Um, well, I know that this is probably just a ploy for you to get me to bring up the Old Navy summer again, in which I was blackballed uh, because I did lie to them. You're a little wrong. You were blacklisted because you lied to them. You're on a do not hire list at Old Navy. You probably can't even yeah. shop there anymore. Because for people that haven't heard that episode... You promised you would, they rehired you for the summer. You promised you wouldn't quit, and then you immediately quit at your first chance. Well, yes, I knew that I needed a job, and I was desperate. Well, Jay, my shortest job was at a place that was once the go-to spot in America for your electronic needs. Everything from batteries to video camera chargers. Radio Shack. It was the summer after my freshman year of college. I needed a summer job, and a buddy of mine worked at Radio Shack, and he loved it. So he said I should apply and we could work together all summer. I mean, that's really the dream, right? You work with your friend for an entire summer. So I did apply, got the job offer. It was for the other Radio Shack on the other side of town. I wasn't pumped about it, but being a man of character, I went anyways. Wasn't long, though, before I knew that I didn't belong there. All the other employees took like 10 smoke breaks. They were all constantly eating Slim Jims. So I did what anyone under those conditions would do. I went to lunch on my first day after four hours and didn't come back. 
<laughs> See, at least I put in a two weeks notice. I mean, my manager, I was strategically waited till she was gone for two weeks, but I still put in a two weeks notice. Now, I actually ended up being a janitor that summer, which was incredible. I learned a ton of useful cleaning techniques. I really appreciate the effort that goes into a clean toilet. But Jay, like many before it, I'm looking at you, Blockbuster. Radio Shack went from successful, beloved business to, well, not. Going from over 5,200 stores nationwide in just 2014 to filing for bankruptcy twice in both 2015 and 2017, Radio Shack has been back in the public eye recently due to a company purchase in 2020 and a uh, unique rebrand. You see, Jay, a few weeks ago, Radio Shack, a company that almost everyone thought was extinct, like I just said, it was filing for bankruptcy two times in two years, started trending again on Twitter after a stream of explicit comments and vulgar posts came from its main account. Was the Twitter account of traditionally conservative electronic brand Radio Shack hacked? Nope. It was changed to a platform by the new owner to sell cryptocurrency. Purchased by the company Retail E-Commerce Venture, a company that purchases bankrupt companies, hoping to bring them back to life in some new form, the new vulgar Twitter presence for Radio Shack was rolled out all in support of an attempt to pivot the company into a cryptocurrency company that sells its own crypto, Radio Shack Swap, which, if you are wondering, is currently more or less worthless. Jay, and here are a few of the less bad tweets that the uh, Radio Shack account has sent out. Yeah, we're a family show. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen that Twitter account. Feel free to go, uh, to go look for yourself, <laughs> but I'm, I'm warning you. Now, this is me trying to find ones that are somewhat family-friendly. I only found three. That's how bad the tweets are on this account. Here's the first one. Taking the second half of an edible after feeling nothing from the first half is always a bad idea. This chocolate bar got me out here fighting for my life. Uh, Another one. (laughs) Hey, at Miley Cyrus, you up? And our last one, once again, this is the, I I could only find three, and and this one even has a drug reference. (laughs) Sometimes I just feel like I should do more cocaine with Elon Musk. So, Jay, will this crazy pivot work? Well, so far, it's nothing more than some noise on the internet. But Radio Shack isn't the first and won't be the last retail brand to try a crypto pivot under new ownership. Some others, Kodak, remember them? Once the hugely successful camera and film company, Kodak has seen its profits nosedive due to, uh, I don't know, cameras being on our phones. In 2018, (laughs) Kodak announced it would launch a cryptocurrency called Kodak Coin. Kodak Coin, ruthlessly mocked, just like Matt Damon, and never successful, it was quickly abandoned, and it has been erased from Kodak's website. How about Long Island Iced Tea? Not the alcoholic drink, but instead a New York-based company that made actual iced tea. Never having nearly the success of its alcoholic cousin, the company decided in 2017 to change its name to Long Blockchain even though it had yet to announce its plan for cryptocurrency. While the stock price for Long Island Iced Tea briefly rose, it soon took a dive that ended in legal trouble with the Exchange Commission alleging insider trading where employees at the company took advantage of the name change by investing before the name change had actually been announced. (laughs) 
But Jay, it's not always bad. We end with this one, especially when a company doesn't go full crypto, like in the case of AMC Theaters. In late 2020, the movie theater chain AMC was flirting with filing bankruptcy after the pandemic shut down the movie going experience. Then, in an attempt to mess with and profit off of Wall Street, stock traders on the internet forum website Reddit made AMC one of several meme stocks, leading to the company selling more than $1 billion in shares. Enough cash flow, Jay, to allow AMC to ride the pandemic wave and come back out on the other end. Hey, and I was one of those. I uh, invested $100 in AMC right as it started the boom. It quadrupled in value, and then I sold it. Yeah, baby. It was See, awesome. That, my investment was just balancing you out. Just in the time we've been on here, it's gone up another cent. <laughs> the stock market's not even open. Uh, right no. Yeah, I was, I was looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> Still two cents, two cents today. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast platform. We're on social. Check us out. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Fantastic work. Good stuff.